Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards, where we look at life, faith, and theology from a different angle. I know it's been a couple of weeks since our last one. The last conversation I had, the guest actually asked that I not air it. So not to scare our current guest, uh, it was a debate. Uh, a listener in Holland had reached out, and they were what's called a biblical Unitarian. And they reached out and wanted to have a conversation on the Trinity. Well, if you know me and all my work with Mormons in the past, the Trinity is something uh, I'm quite familiar with. And uh, I thought we had a very calm and loving and open conversation, but I don't think uh, they felt like they made as much ground as they would like to have made. Uh, and so I just respect their wishes. If, if they don't want to air it, I'd much rather make a friend than try to make content. So uh, I did not air it, uh, but I really wish I could have because I, I feel like it's a really important conversation to have when people just don't understand the Trinity anymore. It's not something that we are taught very well. And the Trinity is all throughout the Bible. I think you can go back uh, on the history of our podcast. I believe I've done one on the Trinity in the Old Testament. So if you're really interested in that, you can find the Trinity all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, that being said, our guest today is Natalie Runyon, and she is the author of a new book, and this is, I believe, her first book, um, and it is called Raised to Stay. I got a copy of it right here. So Natalie, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, I wanted, after I got the book and I read it, I said, okay, this is somebody I, I would really like to talk to because there are aspects of your story that are similar to mine. I'm, I'm a preacher's kid. My dad was a youth pastor at one of the largest Baptist churches in the area. In fact, in the tri-state area, it's one of the largest, uh, Baptist churches around. And so I was brought up in a very church, but also corporate environment. And there's a lot of wounds in that. Now, tell us a little bit just about your book. Why did you want to write this book and, and who is the primary audience? Well, I started paying attention to a lot of the friends that I grew up with in church and they weren't in church anymore. And this was about four years ago, just on social media, really talented people, musicians, speakers. And I noticed they were leaving their pastorates. They weren't in uh, worship anymore. And I was on a worship staff still. And I, I'm like, what's going on? Like, why are people jumping ship? In my generation in particular, which is the cusp of millennial and Gen X, mm -hmm. like, why is everybody quitting? And I started thinking about my own story and I'm like, well, shoot, why haven't I quit? Like, this has been a nightmare. <laughs> like, you know, 20 years being yeah. a pastor's kid, 20 years in full-time vocational ministry, also dabbling in other things. But I mean, this is not for the faint of heart. And so I started just writing these Instagram posts about why I wanted to quit, but why I was going to choose to stay. And by quit, I don't mean stay in a toxic church or an abusive environment, but not leave Jesus. Why was I going to abide in Christ? Why was I going to walk out John 15 when actually I have a million reasons why I shouldn't? I mean, there, there's a lot of things that were happening in the church and still are that just aren't okay. And people were getting weary. And so I thought if I could be a voice of maybe just some hope for people who are feeling hopeless, that's what I wanted to offer, not to fix it, not to try to convince people that the church is good, but to remind people that, that God is good. Yeah. And I, I think that's important because I, I get frustrated um, as a former youth pastor that a large portion of my youth are doing great. 
they become missionaries or ministers or they're just God-fearing husbands and wives. But then I have some, and oftentimes they're the ones who go into ministry. They all of a sudden, they're like, I'm done. I'm done. And it's because they got wounded by the church. But what did you expect, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess maybe we have this expectation, either going to church, and though there is, it seems like aspects of your book is written to those who are in ministry. For people like me, I appreciate. Um, but also just for people in church, if you see behind the veil, if you see past just your normal Sunday morning, you'll learn there's a lot of toxicity within the church. Uh, why Why do you think that is? Um, and why do you think so many people don't see it? Well, it's not new. I mean, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is giving us this laundry list of what's happened to him since he's chosen to go and to love God, love people, go and make disciples. I mean, he's been shipwrecked. He's lost in the wilderness, lost at sea. It says at the bottom, he's been you know, flogged. He's been hit. He's been beat. And then, and then it says, I've been betrayed by my enemies, but even worse, I've been betrayed by my friends. So church hurt isn't like this new concept. I think a lot of us before social media, we didn't know we could talk about it. We didn't know it was happening to other people. It's always been around, but what's happening is now because of social media, because of watchdog organizations, now we've become aware of some of this toxicity. We see the documentaries. We know what's going on. So now we're entering into church, not with hopeful anticipation, but with kind of a skepticism of, okay, who's going to hurt me now? And I think a lot of that is to do with social media and the way that things are being reported and skewed depending on the side that you're reading from. And so we are walking in with more trepidation and kind of looking for the veil, if you will, whereas before we didn't even know it existed. (laughs) Yeah, we, we we're, and I've been talking to our staff and our church about this, that we're so transient these days that if you don't like your marriage, you can just go somewhere else. If you don't like your town, just move. If you don't like your job, just quit. And if you don't like your church, just leave. And we do that so much that we never have to deal with the muck and the ugliness of individuals. And I feel like there's a, there's this new layer to church hurt. There's always been church hurt, but now we have like this political layer where the church is, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the church is responsible for colonization, right? Like there's all these other new layers that make it so complicated. Um, and, and there's just all these talking points. So it is hating the church uh, is one of the easiest things you could do as a Christian. And most people don't want to have their sins exposed or pushed or leaned on by other people. It's much more comfortable to stay back. Um, so we just, we just leave, right? Yeah. Do you find, do you find like a lot of people that leave, was it like a shallow reason they left or is there real, just real reasons to leave? A a pastor that I really admire says that we're finding a generation and generations actually who are rejecting the two institutions that require accountability and humility. And that's marriage and the church. And, Uh. you know, we joke about different generations being raised different ways, but we have given easy outs 
to certain generations. We, you and I would say we love the church because you and I have fought for the church. We've contended for the church. Yeah. We watched our parents do that. We've had people fight for us. Even though people have hurt us, we've also had people really love us. So we learned to love the people first. And then now we're kind of defenders of the church, which we're the odd men out right now. Um, when yeah. we defend the church. Now we're not just defending the church, but to some we're aiding and abetting abusers. And we're, you know, in yeah. agreement with this colonization and this political, this political piece. And really what I'm trying to say and what you're trying to say is, no, listen, the church is God's idea. So I'm not going yeah. to say anything bad about an idea that was God's. The church is not our idea. So therefore, this church that we have in front of us, it's God's and it houses his people. And so I think people are leaving for very real reasons. I believe there is abuse happening. I believe there are wolves in sheep's clothing. And I want to be careful how I say this, but I think you'll understand what I mean yeah. when I say, yes, there are wolves in sheep clothing, but there are also sheep crying wolf. And we right. have to understand that we're going to be held accountable for every person we've called an abuser who wasn't any time that we have, you know, bashed God's people, bashed God's church, we'll stand in, in accountability for that. And so I want to say, I believe people are leaving for real good reasons, but I think they're not just leaving the church. I think they're leaving Jesus. And that's why raised to stay exists is to remind people we, we can leave a church without quitting Jesus. And we don't right. have to just mm -hmm. throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we aren't really like having very tough skin right now. Like some of us are quitting because we didn't get the solo on Revelation song like we thought we were last <laughs> week, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I want to make sure that I separate the two between some of us are just being big babies and then others really need to get yeah. the heck out of Dodge because it's not safe. So we're on two yeah. spectrums right now. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we do have, uh, if the culture is so used to being catered to by everything and everyone around them, then if the church doesn't cater to them for 10 minutes, well, there's another church and I'll be the new person. When you go, every church does this and it's it's the same aspect. I, I do a lot of cult studies. Cults do a thing called love bombing, right? You show up, you're the new person. They love you. You're the best. Everything you do is great. Most churches do that. You're a new visitor, especially, I mean, I, I have a church of like a hundred people. So somebody new shows up, we know they're new and we do love bomb them. Like it, it's not like a planned strategy, like a cult might have, but they get a lot of attention. And then another new family comes. And then now that family is getting a lot of attention. The other family can go, wait a minute, I'm not being served the way I initially was. So I think we have to be careful a little bit about some of the expectations we even set about how appreciated you're going to be on a daily basis you know if if, if, you, if you're if you're more loved at church than you are at home then i i don't know you know your your husband should be doting on you uh, more than the church does. it's true and you know this book is, is interesting because i'm talking to leaders and congregants and leaders we are going to be held to a higher standard and so i do speak more directly to leaders like suck it up buttercup like you know what you signed up for like get in or get out right that's kind of how i talk to leaders but when i'm talking to congregants it's more of like are you here to serve or to be served because the bible is actually very clear about our role in the kingdom and so that's a challenge more than it is a confrontation of just like, what is your hope for the church to serve you or for you to serve the church? Have you heard the quote? And it's often attributed to Augustine, but I don't really think Augustine said it where he says the church is a whore, but she's also my mom. Yes. Yeah. 
And when I mean people are going to ministry, I say this is what you're going into, right? You're taking care of this this prostitute. That's your job, and and to invite other people into this loving relationship with something that is just severely messed up, but provides something that you're not going to find anywhere else. It is the gathering of the saints together. Um, tell me a little bit about your story that about being wounded by the church. I, I'd like for you to share as much of that as you feel comfortable. Yeah. My senior year of high school, we showed up one day to the church. We lived in the church parsonage. I mean, it was our everyday life mm-hmm. and we showed up one Sunday and they said, you're it. This is it. You're done. This is your last Sunday. Pack it up. We're done. No explanation. It was like a funeral. You know, nobody knew why it was a hot mess. And we drove into the night, nowhere to live. I watched my dad look for jobs for the first time in my life. It, my identity as a pastor's kid was completely stripped away. And I was supposed to go to college to be a youth pastor, ended up going to a secular university and majoring in exercise physiology. And I wanted nothing to do with it. I just thought, you know what? I've seen what I need to see. I have a lot of gifts in me. I'll go figure out what I want to do. Eventually, I went back into ministry, which that's what the Lord does when he has a call on your life. And fast forward to just three years ago, and I'm under one of the most toxic leaders I've ever been under, which is a lot when you've lived your whole life in ministry to say. And I was on the sidewalk with the Lord just talking, and I said, I want to quit. Like, if this is what life is in ministry, I knew it 20 years ago. I know it now. Like, let me just be done. Like I can go make a lot of money doing something different. And it was on that walk when I came to the end of myself that the Lord just dropped this phrase raised to stay into my spirit. And I ran home, Googled, there was nothing about it. And I just thought, I think the Lord just gave me something when I wanted to quit. Like I'm telling him I'm done. And he's like, actually, you're not. We just have to change our strategy here. And he gives me this phrase. And I realized it wasn't about me staying in my position or me telling other people to stay in their jobs, but for me to to remind people that this is going to be continual until we get to heaven, broken people in a broken world leading broken people. And that if we could just remember to keep our eyes on Jesus and keep our focus on our original yes to him, then even though the hurt will still come, there will be healing on the other side of that. And the Lord just kept asking me, do you want to be healed? Like, do you want to walk in healing or do you want to be a victim your whole life? And that's what it felt like every church I went to, I was just always a victim or I was the one trying to get everybody's attention. Like, Hey, there's an abuser and nobody would do anything. So I was the problem child. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the raised to stay community would say, I've tried to bring things to leadership's attention. I've tried to be the change and I get fired or I'm deemed the bad kid. And I think that this is what we're seeing in a lot of churches now is people trying to be the voice of change and trying to step in and say, I want to stay, but we're, we're shutting people down because we don't want to admit we're human. We don't want to admit we might have made a mistake. And so my hope is just to begin to encourage people to fight for the change that they want to see in the church and doing it in in an honoring, but also honest way. And I didn't always do that, you know, and all the hurt I've gone through, I've kind of run away. And this was the first time in my life I dug my heels in and I stayed around long enough with Jesus to find out why he was making me walk it out. Well, there's, there's an understandable anger period that you go through. Oh, yes. Uh, I, my dad was a youth pastor for many years, and then he left to start a nonprofit mission organization. And uh, a new youth pastor came in that I didn't really get along with. And I had a lot of questions. 
And the only answer I got was just have more faith. You're like, you know, how do you know God created the world? Just have faith. And so uh, I actually got kicked out of Sunday school for asking too many questions and uh, found a new church with a new youth pastor who really took me under his wing and started to disciple me. And then when I was on the mission field at 18, right about ready to go into college or wherever I went, um, he went into his garage with his Bible in one hand and a gun in the other. And he took his life because he had impregnated one of his students. So not only had my dad, who had been my youth pastor role model, um, when it was my turn to be a youth, left, um, the, the new church person I found to guide me did it. So I was an atheist for a long time because uh, I, I, I just wanted nothing to do with the church structure. So when I came back in and became a church planter, uh, a church hired me when I was on probation, right, as a youth pastor. So it gave me hope. The very first church that I went back into was one that was, we'll give you a shot. And they were so patient with me. And they they took this young guy who made tons of mistakes. I mean, I was in so much trouble the first like three months just because I would say something stupid. You know, I, I was like, I better quit smoking cigarettes. I better learn uh, some more theology, right, as, as I developed. But they were very patient. So then I had a very good experience. Mm-hmm. And it just, it was just where, just because you're in a bad one doesn't mean they're bad, right? No, and I mean, that's what the hope is, right? Is that the church would be a safe place for those of us who still have a call on our life, no matter how badly we've messed it up, no matter how many times, look, I tried to be in Hollywood. I tried to be an actress. I I tried everything to not be in ministry. And there were churches that brought me in and said, we see something in you, like, you're not just this like washed up version of your dad, you know, or right. whatever. And I, and I think that there is part of us that wants to be validated in our pain, but also like called higher. And, and we want that Paul in our life who's going to see us as their Timothy and, and lead us. And, and whenever we say yes to that, we risk getting hurt. We risk somebody hurting us. And um, I just have to remember and I have to remind myself that that is worth the risk. Um, being loved is worth the risk of getting hurt. What about uh, theological differences? What about leaving because you, you feel as though a church is maybe not just like slightly in error on like open-handed issues, like who cares what your view of end times is, or, or even we're a Southern Baptist church, but we have an open-handed view of spiritual gifts. So if somebody believes in tongues, we're not like, Hey, <laughs> not here, buddy. Like they don't do it here, but we're not, it's not my primary goal to get them to change their view on that. Right. Um, but when is it good to leave a church on theological issues? I mean, the good news is we live in America, so we can really like throw a stone from church to church, you know, and and find mm-hmm. a church that would, would have our theological view. I've been in seasons where I've chosen to go to churches that were very different. I grew up Pentecostal, so I've been on staff at Baptist churches. I've been on staff um, at non-denominational churches where I wasn't allowed to be called pastor because I'm a woman. Um, there's been lots of different nuances where I've chosen to sit in those spaces because I knew I was going to learn something I didn't know before. So that's when you can stay is when it's, it's, it's an opportunity to grow and to be among people who aren't like us. But when it comes down to like really fundamental things that are almost like 
hey, this is a core belief. Like I, I want to worship a certain way or I want to operate in certain gifts and this church is not going to allow me to do that. That grace will lift and you'll be able to feel, oh, I think the Lord's giving me permission to go into something that is more in alignment with how I worship and how I express myself or theologically aligns with what I believe the Bible says. And I don't believe that there's anything wrong with that. I think that God is a God of freedom and we obviously have a lot of choices uh, where we are. Um, and I think that God gives us very clear markers of when it's time, when we start to feel disrespectful, when we start to feel uh, like we can't be unified, when we're not on vision and mission with that house. Like those are clear signs that it's probably us who needs to go ahead and go and make that change. Are there any like, um, maybe like any definitive theological, because I, I think we get hurt relationally and then we also get hurt theologically. Do you feel like within the church today, there's any like theological streams that are actually causing damage that the church in general needs to run away oh, from? I think the prosperity gospel is one of the most damaging, honestly. The one that is promising yeah. people if they give, they're going to receive. I mean, yes, the, the Lord promises to reward those who are, who are cheerful givers. But when we start promising people things of this world, wealth, houses, homes, um, I also think that there are some prophetic streams that can be dangerous when we're, when we're guessing babies and marriages and we're promising people things that are not ours to promise people. Um, and that's where you have to use discernment, you know, to know, like, is this the Holy Spirit or is this man? And I think the enemy a lot of times makes us feel guilty for using discernment. And we feel like we're being judgmental. And no, the Lord has given us discernment to know and to question the spirits and to test the spirits to know. Um, and so I think we need to listen to our, our souls. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit in our lives more to know when we're swimming in a stream that might not be good. We're, we're here. Uh, I'm recording this uh, in Oklahoma, which is the home of the prosperity gospel. A lot of people don't realize that, but this is this is Mecca. This is where uh, not only does it originate from, this is one of the main streams that still sends out prosperity gospel. And the nonprofit that my dad ran for 25 years was passed on to a former student that we didn't realize had switched over full volume to prosperity gospel uh, with places like Bethel or Chris Valentin that promise that God has guaranteed your healing, um, that God is. And so I was surprised. That's why I wanted to ask, because I saw you had a Chris Valentin quote in there and, and I wasn't sure. It, it, it threw me off a little bit uh, and not to use a modern day word. It triggered me because a lot of my current pain. I'm over the youth pastor who took his own life. That was a long time ago. But my current frustration and pain with the church is how we have, in order to get along, go along to get along, have played nice with demonic things, things that add to the gospel, right? If you add anything, let them be accursed. And that doesn't just mean adding things in order to be saved. It includes adding things that you get when you get saved, right? That if you get saved, God's going to give you a mansion. He's going to guarantee your physical health. Because as a pastor in an environment that's full of that, the counseling that I've had to do with people who said, I have cancer because of a sin I didn't confess. I got my hair cut the other day. This woman loves Jesus, but she has MS because of her past life and the seeds that she planted. I said, so you don't really believe that you're, you've been fully redeemed. You think... Because of your past, 
you're physically sick. That's mm-hmm. and so I see the damage that it causes. Yeah. Is that a a place where it's time to leave? Yeah, you know, and like it's funny. Uh, they say that writers write, but writers also read, and so part of my um, exploration is reading from different authors from every stream of of different theologies and everything because I want to know what Christians are listening to. I want I want to know what they're mm-hmm. reading to get people to this point where they would actually think that that they would believe that, and I think that when you start getting into situations where your own sin, which has been promised to be cast as far as the East is from the West, is causing you current disease. That is not gospel. Like that is not gospel. So whenever we have something thrown to us that we know is not scriptural, that's called a high thing. And the scriptures tell us that we're to pull down those high things and to take everything and every thought captive that is contradictory to the word of God. The danger is, is that we don't know our word. So when we don't know the word, then we don't know how to use it to fight and we don't know how to use it to discern. And that's why I tell people, you got to read. You need to not just be reading books from other authors. You need to be in the word of God, hearing what God is saying, hearing what Jesus is saying, because that's the truth. And so anything that is even man looks like the gospel smells like the gospel it can look like a duck it can quack like a duck but if it's not a duck you got to get out and that's why i tell people leaving is not the problem staying somewhere Mm -hmm. that god has clearly told you to get out of is where we start to see the abuse because now we are under abusive leadership and we're refusing to go as if we're going to win some sort of longevity award in heaven. Um, that's not real. So I, um, I, I get on a soapbox about this like you, because I'm just tired of seeing people fall for the tricks of the enemy through people. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. Discernment is just recalling verses that you've read, right? Yes. It is. Uh, it's just knowing here's what God has said. And if I know his voice, then I, I can know when someone's pretending to be his voice. Absolutely. And, uh, and prophecy, when we hear this word prophecy, it freaks everybody out yeah. too, because it's been misused. But prophecy yeah. is just using the word of God to strengthen and encourage the church. It's not to yeah. be a, a ball, a horoscope or a, a glass ball or a magic eight ball. It's, yeah. it's simply speaking the word of God. But the problem is we don't know the word of God. And so if we don't know the word of God, then we're just spewing out a bunch of stuff that is empty promises that looks like God, sounds like God, but we have to discern, is it God? What's funny is how often this podcast veers automatically towards prosperity gospel <laughs> because we talk about it so much. And so I don't mean to, I don't mean to side rail. No, on prosperity but I, gospel I appreciate it because I grew up in that. I grew up in the Pentecostal church. Yeah. I grew up in name it, claim it. I, my husband and I were just talking about this, about the fact that we're moving back to Kentucky and being out here in the West where it's a little more skeptical. We're, ha- we're going back a little bit more on our discernment, a little bit more to say, mm-hmm. What were we raised in that was incorrect? And God show us and convict us and don't make us suspicious, but make us discerning, you know. Right. We joke here, Southern Baptist, that we're home of the frozen chosen, right? (laughs) And you can electrocute people and they still won't put their hands up in the air, right? You can electrify the seats. and I'm really comfortable with raising my hands and, and, and having the freedom like that. And there's times I wish our church would be more free in that. But then I go, but why? What, why? Why does that, if they're comfortable 
and they're they are where they are. They're just they're they're enjoying. They're having a good time. Sometimes it's just cultural on how they express that they're having a good time, right? Um, it might not be here or here or anywhere else. We asked them, and they were like, "That was great, loved it." Right. <laughs> nothing, nothing going on. Um, and so uh, I do think that the charismatic side and the, um, as my dad would say, that like my gift in this is I, I swing a sword. And there are there are those who are put out front, and it's to defend against lies. Um, things that look like God, but aren't God, right? That That's kind of my heart and passion doing counter cult uh, ministry, things like that. And so, but people who swing a sword all day long tend to be a little overly aggressive and they need, they need other people who are like, yeah, but we can, there's still good things in there and we can learn some things. So I think that's great. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've had the opportunity, my dad was a, you know, he was a drug addict and alcoholic before he became a pastor. So our entire beginning of ministry was evangelism explosion. So, you know, I'm not right. like some fourth generation pastor's kid who's grown up with this like silver spoon in my mouth. This has been my dad teaching us to go into the inner city, go to the least of these. And he would pastor United Church of Christ churches, you would pastor Baptist churches. And, and we learned that no matter how people worship, the presence of God was always among us because the word promises us that wherever two or more are gathered, he's in our midst. And it's actually been in those churches where people are quieter, where people are um, more reserved. And, you know, it's funny, the Catholic church, my dad's the only pastor who the Catholic church in Ohio lets come do their men's ministry sermons. And it's because my dad has learned to have reverence for those, the sacraments. And, and I, I think that there is something that we can all learn from sitting in spaces where emotion and, and encounter isn't the goal, but to really just to sit in the presence of God and to experience him as a gentleman. And that's what these churches who are not the frozen chosen, but the ones who are, right. are not so quick just to give the pastor what he wants or give the worship team what he wants, but to give God his glory and his honor. That is where I see the sweetest Jesus in a lot of places. There is a time for him to be powerful and mighty and for the gifts to explode and for things to be crazy. That's fine. You know, that'll happen. But in our everyday lives, he is such a gentleman and he blows in like a gentle breeze. And, and that's what I look for um, when I walk into churches of any denomination is, can I find Jesus here? And that's the goal, right? It's just for Jesus to be among us. I really like that concept of the gentleman Jesus. He is. Uh, He's just so you know. good to us. And and we try to manipulate yeah. him all we want, but he will not be manipulated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, so t tell me a little bit more about when, when you stay in a church, like when you've had difficulties and all of that stuff. Um, what are the, like the foundational reasons that you think people should stay? I think the biggest one is just, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> theological accuracy. So if you're in a church and they're preaching Jesus, that's a good church. That's a good start. If they're preaching politics, if they're preaching denomination, if they're preaching prosperity, you know, that those are kind of like warning signs because that means that they're, they're veering. It's Jesus plus, right? We want churches yeah. who are, are preaching Jesus. So I think if you, if you find a church that's preaching the gospel, I don't care if it's King James or it's NLT, whatever it is, if they're giving you the gospel every Sunday, 
That is a huge win. Number two, are they multi-generational and multi-ethnic as much as it can be in your area? You know, I know some places are just not diverse one way or another, but if there is a church that has like many generations, that's a good sign. And then many different backgrounds and diversity based off of your town, that tells us that there's conversations happening that are really good and that you have discipleship and mentorship opportunities for our children all the way up to the seniors. So I'm always looking for the white hairs and then I'm looking for the babies. And if you can see both, then, you know, you really have a good mix. And I, I just believe too, just where you feel welcomed. Like if you, do you feel like you sit at that table and you're seen and that's where people get hurt. I think a lot too, is they put all this expectation on these big churches to provide their every need, but what they're really looking for is community. And so if I can go in and I can see someone who knows my name, that's what I'm looking for. I don't need the coffee bar. I don't need the, you know, $25,000 stage and lights and platform. Give me somebody who knows my name, knows my kids' names, and will ask me to go to coffee. And so I think community is also a massive one. Yeah. Yeah, And that's, it's hard because I see a lot of, um, I don't just see it in the young generation. I see adults with this too, who are more bashful and shy and not the upfront. So they want to get to be known, but they also don't present themselves as somebody that's easy to get to be known. And then they get frustrated that nobody knows them. Yeah. Right. You know? Because community, um, community comes to the committed. You have to commit to community. You can't just like yeah. wait for community to come to you. Yeah. That's good. That's good. You know, um, I, I probably need to remind our church of that a little bit, that if you're, if you're wanting to be in the middle, hanging out on the side, like we'll invite you in, but you got to walk in. Yeah. You got to be a part of well, it. Well, you know, it goes back to that, like people wanting to feel special, people wanting to be the new family every week. Like, why don't we yeah. start caring more about how we make other people feel? Like if you want to feel so special, then go out there in that hallway and hug the new family. And trust me, when you make somebody feel special, you're going to feel special because you're doing the work of the Lord. And that's the beauty of serving the church is that we get this like spiritual high almost just by being obedient to love the people of God. Um, so I've learned that part of being in community is opportunity to serve. So my final one would be look for places that want you to serve and don't just hire out, but are asking people to go to the prisons and the nursing homes and, you know, rock babies in rooms and stuff. Look for a church that has opportunities to get plugged in. Um, what would you say to those who have been out of church for quite some time because of their wounds? It's hard. I did it. You know, I, I mean, I lived that and you lived it too. I mean, it's, um, it's one of the hardest things to do. It's like going to high school um, in your underwear. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you feel, you feel so exposed and you feel violated if you've been hurt or abused. You feel like damaged goods. You feel um, in some ways a little bit of shame or guilt or even anger. And so you're walking in to a place that wounded you and you're hoping, you're hoping that someone's going to see you. And that's a huge risk. That's a huge risk for people that Um, for them to come back. And I want to say this to leaders. It's a big deal when someone who's been hurt comes back. Um, And this is why the church has to be better at listening, at leaning in, but above all, noticing those on the fringes. And so on a Sunday morning, we can't just take it for granted that somebody's coming in who's always been there. 
that's why we have to look for the lost. And so if that's you, if you're kind of like tiptoeing back in, it's okay to take your time. And it's okay if you have to go to five or six different churches to figure out the best fit. And it's okay if it's not a fit. And I, I believe just like that prodigal son that we need to give each other permission to take our time. Healing is not linear. It can take different directions and different twists and turns. But Jesus is with you through that healing and he will give you good people to walk with you in that healing journey. But if you isolate yourself, you won't find them. And so for every Judas, for every Saul, I promise you there is a Paul. There is someone who wants to come alongside you just like that church did for you. And they are going to see the good in you and see what the, and see the God in you. And they're going to call it higher. But if we don't go back, we'll never know. So take your time, yeah. take your time, but go back. <laughs> One of the things that I've seen is they, that they find another church. It's just a cultural church, meaning like um, there's been a lot of people point out that the certain social movements that we have right now, LGBTQ kind of stuff, they have all the markings uh, of a cult, of a religious movement, right? Where they, they have leaders, they have acts of worship, they have their own music, movies. It's all an embodied package. When you join, here's what you now believe, think, and do. Um, and so it seems as though they find a church. It's just not a, a, a church of God. It's a church of us. Um, do you have anything to say kind of wisdom-wise about how we might be able to minister to those people who have just joined a church that doesn't love God? Yeah, I mean, it's patience. It's patience. And, and you know, we've learned this, obviously, you can't force people to do anything. And, and I think growing up, we got that like Bible beat into us, like, just, you know, just do what God says and you'll be fine. And we're learning that wasn't the answer actually to just scream at people to do what you wanted them to do. Um, I think it is in the, the smaller conversation, not online, not with a public forum, but as we meet people who are in that situation, spending time with them as Jesus did with the disciples, hearing their stories, letting them talk. And as that relationship develops, gently guiding them back into an environment um, or just the gospel. I mean, even if it's not a church, but gently guiding them back to the gospel. And that's going to take us to knowing the gospel because you're right. It's a fine, sticky line between mm -hmm. the church of the world, which will is a ready receiver and a gospel that will often tell us things we don't want to hear. So, you know, but it's relationship. And I think the church really struggles with wrestling with each other in these spaces. As a pastor, I'll tell you, I mean, just to, uh, uh, to be as, as honest as I can, I struggle, especially with young men that I see get angry at the church and leave. Um, to try to be patient or let me hear. And they start talking about, you know, well, the church is this and the church is this. Um, to not just come out and just do the, the Moscow macho masculine, just shut up and suck it up. <laughs> yeah. Don't be a baby. Get back in the church. And if you don't like something, complaining from the bleachers doesn't change anything. No. That's why I'm a church planner. That's like, that's why I do what I did is because none of my atheist friends would go to church. So I was like, well, I'll start one. Are you all come to that one? You know, trying to do what I thought the church wasn't going to do. 
When is it okay for me to yell at them is what I'm asking. Yes. Listen, this is where discipleship and mentorship is golden, right? Because now we're, we're actually being invited into somebody's life and to be able to say, do I have your permission to kind of get rough with you here? And I think on social media, we think we're doing that when we come at people, but there's, there's no relationship, but I have mentors who have looked at me before and been like, sit your butt down. You are entitled, entitled, you're spoiled and you're acting like a fool. And thank God for those people because they did save me from making some pretty hard and big mistakes. So I think if somebody has invited you into the conversation, if someone has said like, I'm, I want to have coffee. I think if they've invited you into the conversation, then you go at them as strong as they're coming at you, right? Like we're not going to just sit there and let people bash God or bash the church. So that's Mm -hmm. one of the, one of the issues I have with social media right now is that we're just all supposed to sit and listen to people bash God, bash the church. But if we say something, we're stirring the pot or we're now controversial. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm coming at you with the same energy. Like I don't understand. So I think if people are inviting us into the conversation, then that's when you can go. That's when you can go hard. (laughs) Okay. I like it. Uh, your book comes out 4th of July. Yes. Me in America. Me in America. That's right. (laughs) Um, and, uh, if they want to know more, so you not only have the book, but you also have this ministry that's raised to stay, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's all about helping those who are in leadership positions or ministry positions yeah. stay in the church. Yeah. And, and I go, I go pretty hardcore on my Instagram account. I do not hold back. So, you know, I am definitely not everyone's favorite, you know, but I feel like we need to have the conversations. So. Right. And now is your Instagram, is it raised to stay yeah. or is it's it? Ra- it's uh, raised to stay. Raised to stay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if they want to find out more, um, do you have a website that's up and available that they can go check yeah, out? Yeah, Raise to Stay on Instagram is probably the best site. And then you can go to raisetostay.com. Um, you can look on Facebook too. We're there. The book is on everywhere that you can buy books right now. It's in pre-order. I do want to hit New York Times bestseller because I want to prove that a book about a reconciled church can uh, kick some butt. So I am working mm-hmm. very hard to see that happen. How many interviews have you done today? This is my fourth, no, third. This is my third today. <laughs> That's a lot of talking. That's I know. I keep talking. thinking, have I said this already? It's all right if I have. <laughs> yeah. It's okay because you haven't said That's it yet. That's a good, yeah. Right? Um, but we have, I think we have a cool little diverse audience of people who are really into theology, like really enjoy theology, but also a lot of people who love God, but have been pretty wounded yeah. and find themselves in that weird place. So yeah. that's why I was like, I think your book would be a, a good match for our audience. So if you're listening, I encourage you when the book comes out or go ahead and pre-order now, get you a copy. It's a great read. You're a wonderful writer. Thank you. Uh, I was hooked from the beginning. I was like, all right, I want to see where this goes. Oh. And some, some books you skip like six chapters, just like, all right, where is it in? <laughs> But I, I thought you it, it was good. You're uh, an excellent writer. Thank you. And I enjoyed it immensely. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Any last piece of advice you'd like to give to those listening? Hey, listen, no matter where you're at, the promises of God are yes and amen. So Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it to the very end. So whether you're in an alleyway here in this just by chance or you're the senior pastor, God's not finished with any of us. And uh, he will finish what he started. Be patient with people who are on that journey, right? You know, like I'm, I don't care where you're at. I'm just looking for which direction you're facing. Yes.